0: This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research programs and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth Of the 4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this 101st episode we have Tina Dietz. Tina grew up mostly in western New York state and studied in Buffalo, New York during her undergrad years. She had a childhood passion for musical theater and helped her parents out extensively in their family business. She went to graduate school in North Carolina focusing on education and returned to western New York where she worked with an international leadership organization called Camp Rising Sun. She also worked as a life coach and educator focusing on adolescence. After several years, she, her husband, and two children migrated to Costa Rica. She has now relocated to Florida and morphed her coaching and business development company into an audio production studio called Twin Flames Studios, where she produces audiobooks and podcasts for clients. Tina, thank you so much for being on our show.
1: Thank you, see. I really appreciate it.
0: No, it's great to have you. You have a tremendous amount of expertise in Um, podcasting and in developing podcasters, and so uh, it's really great to have your uh, perspective uh, uh, on the show and to hear about uh, your journey. Um, In prepping for this interview, I was listening to some interviews that you've done uh, in the past, and I was particularly intrigued with one that talked about how you were handed a tape recorder at the age of two.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I have Uh, that recording.
0: (laughs) Would love to hear that story and to have you share that with the audience, please.
1: Sure. Oh, geez. Well, uh, I'm originally from the Buffalo, New York area. And by way of context, uh, my father is and was uh, a very fiery Italian man. And before he turned his sights to entrepreneurialism and I grew up inside of my parents' business, um, prior to that, he worked for the Asbestos Workers Union, and he ended up having to do quite a bit of travel for them. We ended up living out in San Diego when I was really, really little, around two years old. Mm. And the Easter that we were out there the first time, my parents, names, um, I was the only child there. And they handed me a tape recorder and started to show me how to use it. And I actually still have the recording. I have to, I have to, you know, put this on, on the digital at some point. And okay. you can hear me you know, saying, saying okay, here's you press play and here you press stop. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. And like immediately, uh, you know, and then, so the first thing I do is you hear these little footsteps and you hear my voice and you go, hi, I'm Tina. What's your name? Wow and do you like easter you know okay thanks bye and then i go on (laughs) to the next person and basically Everyone in the room on their opinion on Easter.
0: Wow! And
1: it, I it's love the laser-like
0: focus. You're <laughs> really, intent on understanding everyone's viewpoint on Easter.
1: Viewpoint on Easter was very important to my two-year-old self. Apparently, and, and the well, other did funny. Did anybody thing,
0: ask you the question? Did you have a chance to record? No, it? Oh. I
1: I did not answer my question on Easter. But there is a funny bit on there where my dad's trying to show me something else, and I wouldn't let him show me. No, I got it. And I have to say that characterized a lot of our relationship when I was growing up, for better or for worse. But uh, yeah, I, um, as we got into, I always had a tape recorder. I remember recording on my floor when I was a kid, trying to improve on nursery rhymes with my own versions. And then right. later on, when I was about 10 years old, I discovered my parents, oh, we had a lot of albums. My, my parents loved music. My dad's George Carlin AMFM album, right. which is a classic comedy album, yes. not for 10-year-olds.
0: <laughs> Most George Carlin and, content is not for ten.
1: Uh, no, generally not for ten-year-olds. But I loved it, and That's did true. what I usually did, which is memorize it. And I, my oh. parents, I, my parents were pretty hippie-ish, you know. We, you know, had a lot of parties at our house and things like that. And I came out one of their parties one day and basically did George Carlin's routine.
0: Oh, my goodness, so- Uh
1: much to their delight. And then I started comedian. working. Yeah, just then i started recording radio shows with my friends on my uh as boom boxes came out and things like that so it's it's been in my blood but it took until i was 40 to come back to it i had i'd done a lot of vocal work uh, voice acting work things like that but it was my mom for my 40th birthday who sent me a collection of recordings that she had taken off of tape uh taken off of she even took some eight millimeter camera stuff i was you know huh? old old movie stuff yeah. and made kind of a dvd of my life and i heard this recording of me at two years old and it sizzle was
0: sizzle reel. i love it i
1: was like <laughs> 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 two-year-old sizzle reel this is what i need It'll be on dance moms or something like that <laughs> yeah but it was that it hit me in the face because I had been told a lot by a lot of people, you should start a podcast, you should start a podcast, you should start a podcast. And I'd been holding off and holding off and hearing my voice at two years old was my wake up call Amazing. to go ahead and do it. And it's like, you've been doing it anyway, just do it. And that was the rabbit hole I fell into with podcasting.
0: Yeah, I love that. Well, yeah. thank goodness your friends were encouraging you so that you had that backdrop. And when you heard your voice, it was like that was the catalyst. That was a push off. The I cliff. had
1: so much support. Wonderful. Yeah, it's
0: really extraordinary. I love how that's full circle, how a passion from childhood is now helping you achieve self-actualization in many ways because you're, you're a natural. Very
1: much so. Very much so. I've, I, I talk with my clients all the time and ask them to kind of go back into what they loved as children. And sometimes you have to reach really far back yeah. Yeah. to find that kind of wonder or find that joy. Um, you know, one of my friends was talking about she had to go back to 18 months old wow. to really find the purity of it. <laughs> uh, she, had, she had a very Amazing. difficult time. Um, but bringing that forward into her life now has been so enriching.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I'm not a geneticist, uh, Tina, but I'm pretty sure the fiery aspect of being Italian is inherited. So um, I would agree. Your dad should have known uh, what to expect. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Do you have siblings?
1: No, I'm an only child. My younger sibling was my parents' business. They started it when I was about three.
0: I love the way you describe that. That's really great. So you're out in San Diego. Tell us about the business they started.
1: Well, they came back from San Diego. We ah. we made our way back across the country and we landed in the southern tier of western New York, a rural area called Holland, New York. Okay. And my parents built a, a house and my dad was still working, but they, they got a fire, not a fireplace, more like a boiler or a furnace mm-hmm. for this big house that they were building. Yeah. Um, my uncles are contractors, my grandfathers built stuff, so it was a family project. Yeah. Well, the directions on the installation or something, something happened and it almost burned the damn house down. Oh dear. So my mom got on the phone with the, with the company and ended up having like a three hour conversation with them. And at the end of it, they said, you know what, have you ever thought about selling wood stoves? We're really interested in having you start a dealership in your area. My mom's like, what?
0: Okay.
1: Now, my mom had never considered being an entrepreneur, yeah. and uh, she was staying home with me at the time. She, I found out many years later, she had talked about this office job she had had when she was 18, 19 years old as a punch card operator. Okay. Those of you out there, yeah, you ever you know what that is? Sure. Early yeah. computers, you had to punch okay. in everything on these cards. Yeah. I couldn't believe it when I found out my mom, of all people, my mom had worked <laughs> for IBM, you know, she, I thought she was just staying home with me but my dad had been looking for an excuse really to get out of the manual labor side of what he was doing and so they decided to give this wood-burning stove shop idea a try that we had space in the first floor mm-hmm. so the first floor became the business and wow. we lived upstairs and so i started answering phone and going to trade shows when i was around six
0: Amazing. Well, naturally, you're so good uh, with your voice and uh, and talking to people. So, um, were you asking them about their thoughts on Easter or are you just (laughs) just on the furnaces?
1: No, I didn't ask about their thoughts on Easter for sure. Interestingly, at least I think it is, um, I kind of hated the business. I I had a love hate relationship with it because it took up. Yeah, it took up a ton of my parents' time and it was ever present. You know, it, Our employees were upstairs in our home all the time, um, which was fine and well, but I was alone a lot, a lot.
0: Well, uh, how did you feel that time when you were alone? Did you read a lot? Did you watch movies? What were were your passions?
1: Tons of reading. I was always a big, big reader, Um, listening to music. Uh, I did a lot of living room performance Tremendous amount of living room performance. So With the employees a lot of, as
0: your audience. Uh, well,
1: you know, it never occurred to me when I was a kid that anyone else could hear me.
0: <laughs>
1: it never occurred to me that this business was downstairs and I was basically entertaining all the customers all the time. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, and my parents, I'm so glad they never told me.
0: Oh, okay. So there were requests coming up. No, no, no requests <laughs>
1: coming in or all of that. But there was, you know, belting out Phantom of the Opera and Les Mis oh, and, and Oklahoma that's... and The Sound of Music and all these musicals oh, that I grew okay. up with. Or, uh, you know, uh, music like Super Tramp and Sticks. I cut my teeth on progressive rock. Um doing choreography in the living room. And, um, yeah, apparently it, uh, it actually was quite helpful because if uh, customers had to wait to talk to one of my parents during a busy season, they got a show.
0: Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. it worked out well. So you had an audience that you weren't even aware of.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Sometimes the (laughs) better option.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's, that's really incredible. So, um, uh, did you did you actually uh, perform in musicals theater in in high school?
1: I did, yeah. I was big into the drum club, and my my whole life I took dance lessons, and I always wanted to do more. Living out in the country was really hard for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I always wished that I had lived uh, closer to the city. And and when I was sixteen, and my parents um, gave me wide use of the car, I started going to a Theater art school in downtown Buffalo on the weekends, oh, and I and I absolutely loved that. Yeah. Um, but it was high school was a really busy time, and driving an hour into the city to do things it was it was um, it was pretty pretty tedious. So though, I basically had to make up a lot of my own opportunities at home and in the tiny community that I was in. But yeah, my 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 culminating glory was playing Dolly in Hello Dolly my senior year.
0: Oh, congrats on that. That was Yeah. That
1: was that was a big deal.
0: And there's some uh recordings available of it?
1: There are actually recordings of that. It's no. true. I, they weirdly they didn't record the actual performance. They only recorded the um the dress rehearsal. Oh, okay. Which is a shame, but um nonetheless, I do have some some recordings of various things that I was in over the year from Pirates of Penzance to Oh, fun. Yeah, um my Fair Lady and,
0: and several others. Oh, that's one of the better ones. I love that one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's great. Did, did it make the sizzle reel? Uh,
1: okay. <laughs> I, yeah. It's, I, no, she actually didn't uh, put those into that 40-year-old, this is your life sizzle reel.
0: we got um, to talk to them. we got to fix I it. I know. Um, are your parents still with you?
1: My parents are still with me and uh, still both up in the Western New York area.
0: Okay, great. Yeah. Um, So, tell us about the decision to go to North Carolina for school.
1: That was um, a a very strange period of time, Um, and looking back on it, it was kind of insane Mm -hmm. for me to do that because I got married pretty young; I was twenty-four, and six weeks later was living in North Carolina in graduate school. So completely changed location, had no support system in a new area. My at the time, he didn't have any support system in that area either. He was able to transfer jobs. He was working in management for Barnes & Noble bookstore at the time, really young, you know? Yeah. And I was able to immerse myself in my studies and I kind of had a ready-made community. So that was my saving grace because uh, living in the middle of North Carolina um, not a bad place to live, but the the climate was not my favorite for sure. Uh, living in the foothills of the Piedmont area was very sticky and very hot yeah. um, and getting used to living down south in the late 1990s um, was a huge learning curve,
0: yeah. I can imagine. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. For this Yankee, it was a big old learning yeah, curve. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so I apologize. UNC was actually for grad school.
1: That was for grad school. Yeah, I, I went to. I didn't Ar- mean to gloss over it. Yeah. Buffalo area, Western New York area.
0: Okay, gotcha. For, yeah. for college, and is that where you met uh, your husband?
1: No, actually, we met at Barnes and Noble. I, it was my, I was a part, my first part-time job out of high school. Um, In college, I went to school um, at the University of Buffalo for a year. And coming out of a very small town, it wasn't um, a transition I did very well. I was, you know, graduated pretty close to the top of my class, but the size and scope of, you know, 50,000 undergrads was a little too much for me. So I ended up taking a gap year, um, working several jobs at once, which I did a lot um, throughout the next 10, 15 years or so, wow. uh, working multiple jobs. And Dave, uh, was one of the folks that I worked with at Barnes and Noble. We became good friends and then that turned romantic and we got married a couple of years later.
0: Oh, fantastic. That's a great story. So how long were you in uh, North Carolina and that uh, you ultimately made it to Florida?
1: Florida came much later. Yes. The the geographic timeline basically went, we were in North Carolina for two years. um, And after I graduated from there, uh, we came back to Western New York. And uh, we were there in that area for another oh 12 years, 13 years. Oh. And then we sold everything and moved us and our young family to Costa Rica for a couple of years.
0: Uh, yeah, I wrote about that. Yeah. And uh, now you split your time between Costa Rica and, and Florida.
1: Yeah, whenever we can get down there. Um, we've been had the pleasure of being in the midst of developing a community, a conscious community for thought leaders and entrepreneurs and Related folks called Vistamundo, which is in the, the mountains of the Central Valley.
0: That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to get back to your time post UNC, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, What's fascinating I've read about in terms of Costa Rica is that um, there was never, what's led to a lot of its success, and it really is a shining light in in Central America as an economic success story, Uh, what contributed to it was geography, where there were no real ruling families that could control large swaths of the land uh, because it's so mountainous.
1: Uh, yeah, there's seven climate zones in Costa Rica. So you can go from beach to cloud forest in several hours.
0: Amazing. It's yeah. a
1: very cool place to be. Nice. Very cool.
0: Um, we'll definitely chat more about that. I just uh, I noticed to look at your profile when you were um, in, uh, when you had gone back to Western New York, you were involved in a lot of teaching roles.
1: Yeah, my, my graduate work, um, I, I had worked for a fantastic organization I'm, I'm still involved with called Camp Rising Sun, and it is an international leadership camp, summer camp, for um, teens, uh, boys and girls from all over the world. And it is a fully scholarship camp. So it's, the whole idea has been to erase socioeconomic barriers to create connection and meet humanitarian goals. And this camp has been around since 1930 or so. And it's, it's a tremendous organization. That opened my eyes to a larger picture in the world and what young people were capable of. So when I started my career, I really wanted to work with teens and young adults and harnessing that power and that energy of transition and new purpose and and help people get on their path. So that's actually where I started my career was in the world of education and nonprofits.
0: That's great. And these were like high school age kids?
1: High school age kids and, and getting into, you know, 18, 19, 20.
0: Yeah, that's really inspiring. I'm beginning to, uh, uh, my daughter is 14 now and my, my son's 12. And so we're beginning to have those conversations and exploring what they're passionate about and uh, thinking about career trajectories. So uh, it's an exciting time. Uh, it is.
1: Lives. Mine are that age now. So same oh, thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, we had, had an amazing conversation. My daughter's petitioning to take a class at her school called Advanced Constitutional Interpretation. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> and, and so I was probing her a little bit because I know she's very big on social justice, and um, she actually has that, her own podcast.
1: No um, kidding.
0: Yeah, yeah. She was very focused on uh, wellness, uh, mental wellness for adolescents, and so she began in oh. her peers on that uh, on that topic. And she's also been a, a co-host on another um, show called uh, Asian Youth, Dear Asian Youth. And so I began asking her, like, so you know, how do you where what area specifically are you interested in? And she started talking about Japanese internment and citing three Supreme Court cases around that. And I thought,
1: Whoa, it's amazing.
0: I'm floored. (laughs) Oh,
1: I think your my daughter and your daughter would have an awful lot in common. It sounds like they operate a lot the same way. Yeah. My 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 daughter in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Um she was educating me on resources and presenting me with lists of things we needed to get involved in. And then, you know, she's signed herself up for a 30 day daily class on how to become a better ally. And, oh, wow. um, and yeah, she's, she's always been an advocate and, um, wanting to get more and more involved. So it's, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. I don't remember feeling like that when I was 14.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I tell my daughter all the time. She's definitely smarter than, than yeah, I yeah.
1: It's so, it is great to see.
0: Yeah. uh, Okay. That's great. Well, maybe, um, we can make an introduction and have the two chat. uh,
1: I think that's a great idea. uh, Your
0: daughter could be a guest on, uh, Nana. My daughter's name is Nana on Nana's show. That could be very intriguing. Uh, that would be cool. Um, so, uh, Thanks for sharing about that uh, organization you were involved with around um, uh, youth from around the world. It sounds mm-hmm. extraordinary. Uh, I also noticed you were, uh, worked with a college, Via Maria College and Erie Community College. You were doing some teaching there on the, um, it sounds like uh, psychology, uh, a little bit of coaching as well, career coaching. Yeah,
1: yeah career coaching. We, we actually developed, uh, Erie Community College is one of the largest uh, community colleges in the country. And, I was part of a team, an initial team where we were developing uh, high school to college to industry partnerships. Nice. So we worked with a lot of uh, all 200 high schools and, you know, in the area and then created connections into the programs in the school. And then I, I had a really great time working with a couple of the major utility companies, National Fuel um, uh, and some of the other ones to help. Um, work with their curriculum so that they were getting employees and that could actually fill the roles they had available.
0: Wonderful. Oh, that's yeah. exciting work. Uh, and you're so well suited to it. And then this kind of Um, mentoring and and helping is a theme throughout your career because you're still you're doing that very much today with (laughs) yeah
1: it it, creating pathways and and fulfilling fulfilling the more purpose-driven side of things has followed me you know it's it's definitely been a central theme Uh, a lot of the coaching programs i did with the teens and the nonprofit. Um, I worked with folks to start years ago uh, called Tremendous Teens of Western New York and our core leadership team program. Um, everything was about taking a good idea and bringing it into reality and how do you do that? And so much of that followed me into the work that I do today and the um, the business building work that I've done over the last couple of decades.
0: That's extraordinary. Definitely have found a calling. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, you had your daughter in uh, 2006?
1: Yeah, I had my son in 2004, my daughter in 2006.
0: Okay, so you have a 16-year-old son.
1: Yeah, he's coming up 16 uh, in a few months. It's really weird okay. to think about. And he's, yeah. like six, he's like a foot and a half taller than me. <laughs> so it's insane.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's a fascinating time, that's for sure. Um, and so I'd love to hear about Evergreen Experiment. I just oh, it, it, the premise of it is... <laughs> Ten thousand thriving businesses. Yeah. Oh, let me check. This year, by twenty (laughs) twenty. I know. No.
1: I definitely uh, pivoted from that project, not because it was hard, but Oh boy, that that was a journey. So, I wanted to. Uh, I was in a process of uh, doing a lot of personal and professional development work. Um, one of the main reasons that I decided to become a therapist is my own healing journey. Um, I had a number of instances of trauma growing up, and I found the psychology and therapy, and then later on, um, more the personal development side of things, exploration, all, all kinds of things were, you know, fundamental in me not staying stuck in a place of a victimhood, essentially.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, so much of what fueled my own exploration and my own learning was this idea that people could be so wonderful, yeah. and such jackasses, at, even sometimes even simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was a really big part of my own journey to learn how to be, well, in some cases, functional to spot of and to, to move into a place of, of growth. Yeah. Uh, because when you feel like the world isn't a safe place,
0: right.
1: you can't build anything that isn't a defense.
0: Exactly. No, It'll only
1: take you so far.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, do you talk publicly about the trauma that you endured?
1: To to one extent or another, um, so I've I've done a lot of work on it, and so my concern is not so much talking about what I went through, is that the end listener can stay with me in it without necessarily feeling deeply triggered themselves.
0: Understood. Yeah, yeah,
1: and so that's what I'm. That's what I try to be sensitive to, because so many people. I mean, you know. I think that statistics are something like one in three women have been sexually assaulted in their lifetime. And a lot of us it's happened to more than once, either from um, more of a peer situation um, or, you know, um, an adult, you know, perpetrating either, you know, violence or sexual assault or some combination of both. Um, And so, you know, and, and quite honestly, some of my experiences happened when I was very, very young. And so when you are vulnerable, when you are very young, yes, that right. vulnerability doesn't tend to go away when you're older, which is why we often see, and, and I certainly experienced repeated t- assaults over time, repeated trauma over time. And, and again, going back to you know my own exploration, I had, I had to ask myself why? Yeah. Why, why was that happening to me? And what, what was I, what was worse? What was I making that mean about myself? Oh gosh. Yeah. And that was the really, you know, those, those beliefs and those thoughts about, well, the world must be this way. I must be this way. Yeah. yeah. Um, those were the things that really I had to d- take a, a lot of time over time and we're like onions, you know, you're, yeah. you're going along fine in life and then you experience something or you open yourself up to a bigger thing, stepping off into a business, having a child, yes. moving to a new location, all of those things can bring up stuff that I thought was resolved. Yeah. But now it's a different layer.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, and it's it's so heartbreaking, the negative psychological impact, not just from the trauma itself, but the, what you're led to believe about that and about yes. yourself and the shame, the guilt, all of these very unfair Yes. um sentiments and feelings and it takes a long time to um unravel that and i mean a testament uh, to the challenges uh, you know it was well over a decade uh, before you were able to really kind of face it and address it um but uh, i'm really thankful that you did tina and that took a lot of courage on your Thank part you. to, uh, to do that there are plenty of people who who don't have that courage um, and again, I just, um, it, it's just, I feel horrible that you had to in- experience that. It's obviously because of my gender, it's not something I can ever fully empathize with. Uh, again, just thankful that you had the courage to, to work through it. And, and now, as you talk about it, um, you have a lot of strength and, and there's a lot of thoughtfulness. Your concern for other victims and not triggering them, I think, is just uh, very thoughtful and poetic, speaks volumes of, of you as a person.
1: Thank you, Asim. I appreciate
0: that. Well, I definitely appreciate your, your candor. Um, it's uh, You know, we talk about uh, facing adversity on this show and overcoming obstacles, and so this is a, a clear one. Uh, and uh, you've obviously done amazing things in your life um, and uh, you're, you're an empath yourself. And so true. <laughs> true. Um, yeah. uh, again, uh, w- kudos on, on, on taking the time to, to address that. Um, so, you know, as we reach kind of the end of that, uh, that decade, uh, tell us about the decision to go to Costa Rica. That sounds like such an exciting change.
1: Oh yeah, that um, was a very exciting times. Um, so, I can't come to grips over time uh, with myself that I have a lot of wanderlust <laughs> and I love to make home. I'm a Taurus. You know, wherever I am, I have to make my home. And at the same time, just wanting to be somewhere new, wanting to try and experience new things. And um, we had decided to sell our house because it had become honestly money pit. It was just, it was not going to get any better. And we said, you know what, let's get out of this. We want to own our paychecks. We want to have more time freedom to spend, you know, with our kids and on my business and all of that. Mm -hmm. So we were already in that process. And, um, my husband at the time, Dave, he, um, got a call from his higher ups. Um, his, that company was in transition and they were um, allowing people to work completely remotely.
0: Okay,
1: And I had, what well, we had actually created a five-year vision plan, which is something I did with my clients, still do sometimes, yeah. and had this image of five years we were going to be living remotely in Costa Rica because... Um, my family had a lot of familiarity with it. I had run my father's business and we had um, run retreats down there and things like that. So even though I had never been there, I had a lot of background on the country. And I made a couple of phone calls to some clients I or not clients but contacts I had down in the area. Within an hour and a half. We were hooked up with an apartment. We knew a school system we could send the kids to (laughs) I had every piece of information, visa information, anything I needed was just there. Was, Amazing.
0: Amazing. It was so
1: much easier to get down to Costa Rica and move in there than it was to finish selling the house <laughs> in Western New York where we were living. Yeah. wow,
0: that's extraordinary. And so in the business you had at that time, this was Twin Flames Studios? Or no,
1: Twin Flames just started, um, honestly, uh, was a progression off of um start something creative business solutions which was an iteration originally of tina deets business development which was my original solo coaching practice so for those out there who are worried about pivoting multiple times Feel free to use me as an avatar because I've done it many, many, many times. I had many businesses before that. My very first business was around baby wearing because my son was super colicky and I got into baby wearing and it was the only thing that calmed him down, wow. found a tremendous community and was and teaching classes locally. That was my first business while I was working two other jobs.
0: Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. it's so great. So well, keep you- pivoting. <laughs> Another kind of uh, curve uh, in this winding path was um, uh, being a massage therapist for a while.
1: Actually, I wasn't the massage therapist. My dad ah. was. Yeah. Oh, so okay. even though I came out of uh, growing up in a family business, yeah, for some reason, I was crazy enough to decide to go back into business with my dad. Now, anyone who, who's ever been involved in a family business is laughing right now.
0: Oh yes. Right. So people ask me cares. for
1: years, why why don't you specialize in coaching family businesses?
0: Right. And I said,
1: Because I'd like to remain sane and unmedicated. <laughs> family business is hard. It's hard, but we we actually built a really amazing international training company uh, for massage therapists in teaching advanced techniques. My dad's brilliant with what he does. He invented a modality and didn't even know it. So I ran the business side of that company and he did um, all the teaching. And of course he had all kinds of ideas he wanted to fulfill, but that's really where I learned online business. I taught myself online business um, and uh, really learned, uh, product production and uh, all kinds of marketing and, and things like that, that I had started learning when I was very young, but mm-hmm. it kind of came full circle.
0: Amazing. Oh, that's yeah. Fantastic. And so you were managing the massage business from Costa Rica?
1: That I was done with the massage uh, company uh, by the time I got down to Costa Rica. Okay. The timeline's a little wonky, but I had stepped off from working with my dad into my full-time business coaching practice prior to uh, moving down to Costa Rica. And living in Costa Rica, of course, was a big bump because a lot of folks are very interested in how do you own your paycheck and live this freedom lifestyle, work from home, live on the beach, work from anywhere. And so I was walking my talk and working with a lot of folks one-on-one who wanted to have that kind of lifestyle. And it it was just work with some amazing, amazing
0: people. That's really great. That's no, fantastic. Well, I think you attract them. <laughs> you attract people who, uh, because you put that energy out there in the world. And so I uh, do they, like people. It's true. It
1: <laughs> By and uh, large.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and Danny Levin being a great example of that. Oh,
1: Danny's awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, our mutual friend. Um, so how many years, Tina, were you in Costa Rica?
1: Well, we were back and forth to Costa Rica for a while because there's our visa requirements and things like that. So we were down there for three months, came back and lived in Florida for six months, and then we were down in Costa Rica for another year and then ended up coming back to Florida and kind of been here for the last uh, five years now, approximately, and going back and forth to Costa Rica on a more casual basis. Um, unfortunately, we haven't been able to be down there in about the last year or so, but in our community, Vistamundo, Mundo, um, my partners down there have been building homes in the pool and the deck and working with the local community, um, trying to create more jobs down there, and it's been a really cool project, so I can't wait to get back down there.
0: Uh, that sounds really extraordinary. And um, yeah, your kids, were they homeschooled during that time? They would have been elementary school age?
1: Yeah, they've, they've gotten a really, they've enjoyed, this is what they've told me, that they really enjoyed this period of time where they went to a private school in Costa Rica that was bilingual. Yeah. for a period of time. And then for a year, we did homeschool them. And I was really glad that we did because it allowed us to almost kind of take a few habits or beliefs that they had about education out of their system at a young age. Yes. So when my kids have now gone back into school and my daughter's entering high school, my son is entering his junior year of high school, they're they're both good students. And they have a perspective on school that I'm very proud of them for having, which is, school is there to serve them.
0: Nice.
1: They're not there just to get a grade. School yeah. is there to serve yeah. them.
0: That's such a great yeah. orientation to have. I love yeah.
1: It.
0: You have to take control of, uh, I mean, it's a similar paradigm. Take control of your paycheck. Take control of your education.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to make the most use of this for yourself? You know? Yeah. Yes. You know, geometry might suck. Let's see if we can find some places to actually make this useful in some way shape or form and if it's not going to be useful long term how can you minimize what a pain in the ass it is now
0: yeah absolutely well and uh just a small anecdote um you know the grading in these math departments is um i just i don't think it comports with real world experience because no you know, it's the concept is clear that it's understood by the student, but points are being deducted for not having accuracy, and and I I understand taking a little bit of a hit for that, but um, the, the amount that they're deducting, it just doesn't make sense.
1: I'm with you. How to think is so much more important <laughs> than anything else we can teach.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. um y, yo que ¿tú también hablas español?
1: Oh, un poco a poco. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm much better with Spanish when I'm living in the country, being around it all the time.
0: That makes sense, yeah. yeah. I, after a few drinks, I also find that my lingual skills are. Oh, get way better.
1: Rich. There right. is there is a foreign language to alcohol ratio we found. We used to hang out with these a couple of different families who spoke no English. We spoke no Spanish. <laughs> all we had to do was have two drinks. <laughs> we understood each other perfectly.
0: That's the friend. It is the Life-long. weirdest thing. Absolutely. It's you know, the weirdest is thing. It's, uh, it's, yeah, alcohol is just phenomenal in that. I, I
1: think, I don't know, it opened, opened up it. the quantum field or something. Quantum I don't know what's quantum. going on there.
0: Synapse right. who's firing like, like we've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. Um, tell us about the Start Something show, which was very successful. It was a top 35 podcast for for entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, Ink, Ink Magazine uh, was very, very kind in adding me to that list. I, I didn't even know about it wow. until a colleague of mine pointed out. She goes, hey, did you see this on Ink.com?" I was <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and that was my first podcast. And I, I just dove in and it was a, it was a very um, emboldening experience. Mm-hmm. It was doing something that it felt like I had always done. Uh, and you know, and I was having I, I hired a company to work with me to do the launch and everything. Um, they're called Cash Flow Podcasting. They're still a sister company of my company. Okay. We love to collaborate together. we worked e- with each other for a really long time. Yeah. And um, Ben Kruger is the owner there. He's a fantastic man, um, wonderful business owner. And so his company took care of everything. I fell in love with the process. I fell in love with podcasting hmm. and I've, you know, kind of never looked back nice. on that. It, it just nice. allowed me to really dive in at this. And at the same time, it gave me a really great excuse to spend more time with audio. i had had this background in voice acting. I had done voice acting on the side and um, that's where I had come to the understanding that people weren't Uh, the audiobook industry was rising. And I started thinking about, well, why aren't all my clients and colleagues who are doing bestseller campaigns and uh, self-publishing on Amazon, why aren't they doing audiobooks? So between the podcasting and my inquiry into audiobooks, it led me down a path that um, I'm very, very grateful I got led down because that, that brought me to creating Twin Flame Studios.
0: That's fantastic. And is that where you spend the bulk of your time now with Twin Flame?
1: Yeah, twin flames is the business. It's it's what we decided to double down on and and really build. It's the first scalable, really scalable business I ever created. I've always prior to that had been a solopreneur, and I was very dissatisfied with the coaching industry. I still am dissatisfied with the coaching industry. Okay. Um, and is that
0: just your your fellow coaches and behavior practices or standards or
1: it's it's more the standards and the fact that pretty much anybody can call themselves a coach and they can really wield tremendous power over other people.
0: Yeah, that's And
1: great, coming yeah. from my background as a therapist, yeah. I I have some concerns about coaching as an as an industry and it starts to sound like the fitness industry. You yes. can create a six-figure business in 90 days. Right,
0: right, everyone. You know? a know. Trainer. Yeah, I get it. Exactly. Uh, but you, you uh, had accolades and uh, distinction in the coaching field. Uh, Forbes uh, nom- had you as a on, the, on their council, Forbes Coaches Council.
1: Yeah, I was a, a founding member of the Forbes Coaches Council. The Forbes Coaches Council, in all transparency, is um, an association. It's a paid okay. organization, but they sought me out as one of their first fifty members, their charter members, nice. and um, it, it was really great to to work with them and and be able to be you know published on that platform. Yeah. It's yeah. it's. A, yeah, it's definitely a, a privilege.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So tell us more about uh, Twin Flame Studios. Um, you know, what, the services that you're offering, like what's your favorite uh, part of, that, of, of the job? Oh.
1: Well, my favorite, so there's kind of three divisions of the company. Yeah. So just to create a little bit of context, but the whole idea for me has been if I could help more leaders reach more people messages they're trying to reach with positive messages, growth oriented messages, then I don't have to be the person making all the change in the world. I don't have to be a guru. I don't have to be you know, some lofty on high, like millions of people following me personally. Right. I can help more people reach more people. And books, books, podcasts, these are some of the lowest hanging fruit that people have worldwide, not just here in North America, but worldwide. And that's really what gets me out of bed in the morning, you know, I have this privilege of helping leaders help more people give people a voice, when they may not have found their own yet, um, amplify the messages of, you know, in a positive way, in a good way, uh, get good information out there, all of those things. So, yeah, so we we provide um, services done for you services in fiction, audiobook, production, and distribution publishing, of course. And on the podcasting side of things, we tend to work more with companies. And it's a little more challenging for companies to start a podcast because there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Who's doing it? Why are they doing it? How's it going out there? And we're able to help them navigate all of those so that we can humanize Mm -hmm. these companies um, and, and give them a voice out in the world that people can relate to so that there is better connection you know we have a lot of corporations it feels cold and uh impersonal and we have a lot of stories about the intentions of of companies and corporations if we can get down to a human level have conversations now we have an opportunity mm-hmm. to create a dialogue
0: yeah yeah for sure yeah I love so the, that. That's so yeah
1: So the third division is actually my favorite division, and it's the one that is most in development because first two divisions, I have incredible teams and uh, we're, we're, you know, growing and serving a lot of people, but that is also freeing me up to do the deeper work with folks that I really love, which is around vocal leadership. Okay. And that's really around cultivating your inner voice along with your outer voice so that you can be more effective as a leader, uh, in your communication, in your empathy, in your speaking and, and beyond. It actually covers a lot of bases.
0: That's really phenomenal, Tina. And I just love that concept that in order to be outwardly engaging, we have to do some internal housekeeping and, uh, be sure that our internal voice is, uh, it, it, tracking the way it needs to and kind of mirroring or in sync with uh, our outside voice. I think that's really phenomenal. Yeah, for sure. It it mirrors uh your concept of uh walking the walk, so to speak. When you said uh, talked about moving to Costa Rica and uh, <laughs> yes. uh living that 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 life. It's sort of your your you're showing uh and I, I think you you know your training and your background uh, as a therapist is so well suited for for that to be able to do that.
1: I like to think so, thank you.
0: (laughs) It was really phenomenal. Um, Who would you say, Tina, is an ideal client for you?
1: Uh, So our clients are, are subject matter experts and leaders, CEOs and executives. And what kind of brings them all together and in common is that they're the type of people that have worked hard, but also with a sense of, I don't want to use the word integrity, but a sense of truthfulness to mm. themselves, a sense of, you know, they're really doing this for good reasons.
0: Yes, right. There's you an know, authenticity they, so, to their Yeah, approach.
1: forthrightness, right, you know, and and really wanting to do good work in the world. And so they're at a certain level of leadership where now they want to get their voice out, get their message out to more people, and they want to use a vocal medium or a voice medium to, to go ahead and, and do that, an audio medium. A lot of them are more comfortable speaking than they are writing. A lot of them are um, really at a point where blogging or social media just isn't cutting it. It's not satisfying, and it's not doing what they want it to do.
0: Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. So hmm.
1: they're adding another layer onto that. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, we work a lot with uh, the financial sectors. Right. We work a lot with um, uh, legal actually comes up as well as uh, business, business and uh, marketing and people who do um, very mission centered type of coaching work, specialty coaching work. Our coaches tend to be a bit more on the audiobook side of things, and our financial and our executives tend to be a bit more on the podcasting side.
0: No, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's really extraordinary. It sounds like you have a really thriving business that you are really passionate about, and um, it really um, allows you to, to highlight uh, the skills that you've developed over your, your life and the expertise that um, you've developed. So, talk about subject matter expert. Uh, <laughs> uh, yet again, you're walking the walk, which is really uh, phenomenal. Um, any other side businesses brewing since uh, you have a mind that? Uh, never rests.
1: You know, the the beautiful thing about having been a business coach for years even though I don't I won't say indulge in that very often is that I refer to myself as a professional instigator. Hmm. And to new ideas because I can't help myself. Right, (laughs) And it's just the way I'm wired. And I I find the most fulfillment now in helping other people fulfill their ideas. And that's incredibly satisfying for me. And so I'd like to participate in more philanthropic things. In addition to Camp Rising Sun, there's another organization called allittakes.org, which is out in California, unbelievable people. Mm. And they're actually in the process right now of – Finishing up and releasing publicly to all schools nationwide uh, in the U.S. an entire socio-emotional learning curriculum to support not just the students, but also the staff and also the parents through this time that we're dealing with around coronavirus and the pandemic and all the shifts. It is a brilliant curriculum the folks from um, Stanford and MIT and the, you know, the national level of the teachers union are all supporting this curriculum. And I'm just so happy to contribute to them any way I can.
0: That's really phenomenal. Wow. Uh, Kudos on being involved with that. That's really great. I love that. Great people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm just mindful of time. Uh, We're reaching the top of the hour here and um, I do have one more question to ask.
1: Ask a question, maybe the audience. And if they got to this far in the interview, in listening to you and I talk for an hour,
0: <laughs>
1: um, what was it about the conversation that held their interest or made them, where do they see themselves in this conversation? Wow! And to take a moment to actually reflect on that if you've actually gotten this far in that, in that interview.
0: That's really great. And uh, if you'd like to share your response, uh, you can email us from our website, achievepodcast.com, because um, that would be enticing to hear. And we would certainly respond to you and share that with you, Tina.
1: <laughs> I would love that. Thank you.
0: That's that's really great. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, uh, my last question for you, Tina, is do you like Easter?
1: <laughs> I get a little overrated. Be
0: honest. <laughs> You're more of a Christmas person.
1: I actually am. This is true.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we've clarified that now. <laughs> it's important. It's important.
1: It was hanging out there. You, was, know, well, you an know, unanswered it's, question.
0: It's been a few decades. I thought uh, someone should ask you.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Saseem. No, no one has ever asked me that. So it
0: was now, time. It was due. Knows. The universe has uh, brought me here to you for that. <laughs> um, Tina, what a great conversation. Um, you know, I really do appreciate how uh, candid you were, your willingness to be vulnerable and, and chat about uh, real experiences that you went through and how you overcame them. And um, love the mission that you're on. You're in service of, of others. You're bringing your expertise to, to help uh, people uh, achieve something wonderful. And I think it's great. I wish you all the success in the world.
1: Thank you, Asim, and thank you for doing this series and everything you're up to out in the world. I know you're uh, you're doing incredible things and helping a lot of people and I'm just honored to be associated with that.
0: That's very kind of you to say. Thank you so much, Tina.